0: Just like Parker Beam said one time, you know, there's no bad bourbon. It's all good.
1: This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. You know, one of the things I really love about doing the show is bringing people on to tell about their story. And we're always looking for veterans of the industry to to come on and talk about their story of bourbon and their career growth with it. And Tani Guti, she's been at Heaven Hill for nearly 30 years. and She's done it all. I mean, they used to have to rotate workers to give tours when a small group of people would just show up. But Tani has excelled in her career and worked with Mike Sani and other Heaven Hill elites to become one of the most respected palettes in the industry and she gives us the lowdown on the quality control process at Heaven Hill. But this episode, it's also very significant because this year marks the 25th anniversary of the 1996 fire at Heaven Hill. And Tani remembers the very first phone calls and what it was like in the days following the aftermath. It's a true testament to how the bourbon industry really works together. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
2: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char, this week's idea comes from Rick Winters, who writes me on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Basically a long email wanting to know about the chain of progression associated with the bourbon palette and what's being made out there and, and how we are all individually affected. I mean, it comes from like Kenny saying that he has uh, evolved with what bourbon he likes in his old fashion. So I will say this. The evolution of the bourbon consumer is incredible. Like if you want to go to the heart of bourbon, like bourbon, you know, as we know it today, really begins in the 1950s. So in the 1950s, this is after World 2. The independents are largely out of the picture because uh, they could not survive World 2 uh, because they couldn't make any whiskey. and they And the larger companies were, doing price fixing and they were buying up the smaller brands left and right, you know, and they all basically uniformly started making particular styles of, of whiskey. And that would became what became known for the palate and what people liked in all the while they were negotiating with, with Congress to become a unique product of the United States, which became successful in 1964. And they were negotiating with, um, the federal government to change the barrel entry proof from 110 to 125, which went into effect in 1962. So all that being said, the way that they made whiskey then, while different uh, than today for the most part, is, is the business sense of how they did everything in the 1950s, carried through into the 1960s, and still is largely like this today major distillery will have one or two recipes and like 10 labels and they will break those labels up by proof, you know, and age. And one of the big things that they would never do is they would never do barrel proof and they would never do anything older than like 12 years old. Well, as uh, success came from like the likes of bookers, uh, which was cash strength, Uh, And as success came from uh, Pappy Van Winkle, which was 23 years old and 20 years old and 15 years old, everybody started changing. And as the internet kind of came on, the millennials came into the game, uh, the bourbon community, meaning the consumers, wanted to get a lot more than just eight-year-old hunter-proof bourbon. So now we have all these cast drink bourbons that people want, and we have people who want crazy age we're also in the evolution of craft whiskeys entering the game and having a big impact. So you're seeing a lot more grains enter. You're seeing younger whiskeys be palatable, and so all of that has uh, an impact on the evolution of of tasting. Now, when it comes to getting into your to your cocktail glass, well, listen, that changes with the price and availability. Like, I mean, I've had uh, I've had an old fashioned with, you know, a really nice cash strength product and it was fantastic. But when, ca- when I got that bill and it was like 30 bucks in comparison to like, a you know, a 12 to $15 old granddad bottle to bond, I was like, it's not that much better. So I think if you're making it at ho- home, it could be a little different story. But the evolution of bourbon tasting is never ending. And the best way to kind of cover it and watch it is to see what the big boys do. So when Jim Beam and Heaven Hill and Sazerac start changing some things, you know that's where the trend is because they got their they got their finger on the pulse of their consumer base. But that's going to do it for this week, folks. Hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. And click the contact button and let me know your question. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers.
1: And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixirs Golden Hour Syrup. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon. Kenny here today riding solo, but I'm excited to be able to talk to our guests today because we've had a lot of people on from Heaven Hill. We've had Connor, who's the master distiller. Uh, We've had a lot of other folks, and we love a lot of the things that come from the Heaven Hill family and the product lines and everything like that. And they make some of the world's best bourbon. And everybody knows that Heaven Hill is one of those heritage distilleries and the largest privately owned distillery as well. And our guest today is one of the reasons on how they've grown to where they are. Uh, She is part of the, the tasting panel. She is a tasting specialist. She's also a quality assurance manager that's been there for 31 years. That's it's three decades plus at one company, and we know that in the current job market, it's, we always see people bouncing around, and it's cool to see somebody that has seen sort of the rise of bourbon from, well, actually seen the rise of bourbon because it really wasn't much uh, 30 years ago, and now we're kind of in its, its heyday and its, its golden era, and so we'll be able to kind of talk about that too. So to date on the show, we have Tani Guti. She is the Bottle Assurance Quality Specialist as well as the Female Master Taster at Heaven Hill. So, Tani, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, kind of before we get into, you know, the job and everything like that, I kind of want to, we want to know a little bit more about you. Give us some background of sort of like where you were born, where you came up, and how did you get into working at a distillery?
0: Well, I graduated from high school in 89, and... I was going to go to college and be a nurse. Well, that didn't happen. So I got a job at Owens, Illinois. When I got out of high school, it's a factory uh, that makes labels for products. And so I enjoyed that job. I worked in the lab there. So I realized that I enjoyed being in a department that tested materials and make sure that the quality was inspect on the materials to make a product. Well, they had a company cut back. And that day that I got cut back... I thought, well, I'll probably go back to school. Well, back in the day, you didn't just go online, of course. You went to the unemployment office, and you talked to a recruiter. And so he had called me and said, there is a position open at Heaven Hill Distillery in the lab. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So I took the chance and went for the interviews, and I've been here 31 years.
1: So— do you feel that? I mean, so I, that's actually a very short story on how you are able to just take a quick jump over there. But did nursing school prepare you to go and or want to go into the nursing school? Prepare you to go and work in a lab?
0: Well, um, at that time, you either went to school because you turned eighteen. You didn't have health insurance. Your parents are like, "Okay, what are you going to do?" You know. So I came for the interviews at Heaven Hill and. I just thought, well, maybe, I don't know. I just thought maybe school wasn't it for me. I got on the lab here and I was the tour guide and I started proofing. I just enjoyed the work so much and I just stuck with it. And then I was here for three years on day shift and our vice president at that time came to me and said, we're going to open a quality position because back in the day, it just wasn't as many products. You just didn't have, the manpower to get out on the production floor and we just really didn't have much quality. So I took it and I went to second shift for 10 years of my career here at Heaven Hill. And I read following tanks, getting them ready for the production line. I still came in during the day and gave special tours because, like I said, when I first came here, the first three years, I gave tours. And back then, that was when you had Greyhound buses. They would pull in, and every day at 10.30 a.m. and 2 o'clock p.m., I would go out to the cafeteria and have a group, or I'd have a bus scheduled. And we would walk them through the facility back to the dump room. They actually got to taste the bourbon, come out of the barrel. And I just loved what I did. So I never looked back at nursing or going to college because I just got in tune already Growing at Heaven Hill, and I was happy. So after ten years on second, then I came back today. Just grew with the company. Heaven Hill has let me grow, and I appreciate that. And I still have a journey here. Every day is a new day. Trust me, every day is different, and that's what I have to have—full of energy, and I have to do something with it. So I'm constantly from one end of the facility from shipping. All the way to empty glass to the production floor, you name it, and that's what I like.
1: That was one of the things I was excited about talking to you today, is because I've I've heard from multiple people that you are full of energy and you've got a lot of great stories. So this is uh, this is this will be fun. Now I, I kind of want to roll back a little bit to your time as a tour guide. Walk us through what I mean. You you had mentioned Greyhound buses and dumping barrels and taking a, a sip out. Kind of talk about what the tour experience was like 30 years ago at Heaven Hill?
0: Well, like I said, we had two scheduled tours every day at 10.30 and 2.30. So those were people that walked in from the visitor center here in Bargetown and said, Heaven Hill gives a tour at 10.30 or you can jump on at 2.30. They were scheduled. So I would walk to the cafeteria and they would just be sitting in there. I might have two people or I might have 25 people and um, the Greyhound buses, they would be scheduled most of the time around those two times. So, I mean, I was just busy giving tours and then still proofing the lines, making sure that we stayed in compliance with proof. But I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the people. I had my spiel memorized. We would walk down A-line and then we'd walk into the old dump room. So that's when we actually rode the barrels off of a tractor trailer and manhandled the barrel to make sure the bungho was exactly perfect on uh, being positioned over a trough.
1: Because nowadays the, you go through and, and you look at the line and it clocks it automatically like there's all these sensors and it knows exactly where it is. It clicks it and then it, it hits a button and it just kind of like flings the barrel forward.
0: Yes. I mean, total automation was nothing like that. I mean, you had to have two people pick up a barrel. And it, like I said, if you rode 15 barrels out on that trough, it had to be perfect. And if not, then you had to back them all out, back them all out and start all over. And what was interesting is I gave, you know, my speech back there because it wasn't loud and they would ask me questions. And then, um, I would say, Hey, if you would like to stick your fingers and the bourbon coming out of the barrel, you can taste it right out of the barrel because this is your only chance to get the bourbon right out of the barrel. It hasn't been cut or anything. And they they loved it. I mean, they just absolutely loved that part. They actually got to taste the bourbon right out of the barrel. And I always thought, gosh, I wish we could bottle that somehow. You know, back then I thought, well, you know, I, I understand. I guess we can't. We got to cut it, uh, you know, whatever reason. And now we bottle barrel-proof. And I'm so happy to see that.
1: Yeah, things have changed a lot in the the consumer and, and what the consumer expects and what they're looking for nowadays. And it's kind of cool that you were on the forefront of that, of being able to see, yes, people want barrel proof, they want uncut, they want you know non-chill filtered and, and stuff like that. I think it also is cool to, to kind of look at your history as a tour guide. And when you think about it from what it is today, there's thousands of people that go to the visitor center and they're and and by the way, the, the new visitor center at Heaven Hill is absolutely immaculate. It's it's fantastic what Jeff Crow and family has, has done with that. So tip of the hat to them It's just really amazing. When you think about your time as a tour guide, did you always get questions of does bourbon have to be made in Kentucky? Like Absolutely. Is the, yeah. Is is the do you feel that the modern consumer is more educated now than say they were 30 years ago about bourbon?
0: Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, I mean, the changes in 30 years in the liquor industry has changed tremendously. I mean, now it's collectible like no other. Now they're sitting out beside the gift shop at 3 o'clock in the morning in their lawn chair waiting to get in to get the next release. It's enjoyable. It's sociable. Back in the day when I was growing up, it wasn't so much sociable. It was seemed like more of a hidden thing. Like you went in the liquor store, it come out in a paper bag. you you put it underneath your car seat and you you went home and you stuck it in the cabinet. And so now it's it's very much displayed and advertised, and it's become such a tourist attraction on the bourbon trail, and it's become something for people to do. They want to do it. They want to learn. They want to see the difference in distilleries. They're interested in just the whole rollout from the very beginning of the grains and how important it is. And people don't understand, but they back in the day, they didn't understand how much work it takes to get that bourbon in the bottle from the very beginning. How many people touch it? What it has to go through in the aging process, the season process, the people that work in the warehouse, working through the seasons. And it's not it's not easy. But for it to be that product at the end with all the character that it has become on its own, out of the barrel, that's why I love our single barrel so much. People get to actually taste one barrel. Now, that wasn't thought of years ago. You just didn't process one barrel. And now people can come and pick out one barrel. They can pick out a barrel and buy it, and we will bottle it for you. How awesome is that? So uh, to your question, I mean, there have been so many changes in such a good way. And it's still growing. It's still changing. And it's fun. I can go on and on about it.
1: No, I get it. And and I guess another question about when you originally took this job, you go to the unemployment office and they're like, hey, we've got a position for you at Heaven Hill in the lab, where you're like, What the hell is Heaven Hill? What <laughs> I don't did did you drink bourbon? Did you know about the company back then?
0: Well, I mean, to be honest with you. Be uh, honest. When you're when you're a teenager, you experience and um I guess, test the waters on bourbons, different bourbons uh, at that time. So, uh, of course, I was not educated or didn't know much about the spirits industry. When I came on board, Mike Sonny, it's like, you're going to have to get tasting because I didn't know what gin was. I didn't know what rum was. So as soon as I got hired, I said, well, you're going to to taste them and learn them. You know, you got to learn what they're supposed to taste like. And I did that. And of course, like I said, we have grown so much in the industry and have come up with so many new different products from cordials to wines to flavored vodkas. I mean, the portfolio of Heaven Hill is so, so huge. And uh, so being said, I actually got to grow with the growth of Heaven Hill. And be able to put those standards in my brain on all these new products and be able to distinguish what they're supposed to taste like. And when I taste tankers, tankers come in, if we, if we bottle tequila, our the tequila comes from Mexico. So I have a standard and I taste it when it comes from the tanker before they break the seal, because we don't want to unload a tanker of liquor and ruin multimillion dollars worth of product in our storage tanks. And so I'll taste it to make sure that it's up to quality standard because I know what it's supposed to taste like.
1: So that's, it's funny. You say that, do you look at yourself like, well, I'll guess I'll be the Guinea pig. Let's make sure there's no arsenic or anything in here. Like, is it, are you, you're, the, you're the first line of defense before it goes to anything else instead of getting like a, I don't know, a chromatography equipment or something like that where you, you might be able to scientifically look at something like now. They're like, we're going to let Tawny be our, our human shield.
0: Well, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> would pretty it, would much,
1: it put it that way?
0: <laughs> pretty much. Now, we have a good team. They know I'm going to stick with my decision or my opinion. And if it requires me to set up taste tests and have people come in and see if they can pick out a different one or pick out something that they think is different to prove my point, then that's what I'll do too. But again, the advantage of my expertise in tasting is my long-term career here and my sensory. So I have a really good palate. And when it comes to components that we do not want in the bourbon, I can pick it up. I can pick it up.
1: So how'd you learn to do this? Was it through, I mean, I know Mike Sani really kind of guided you through this. Was it a lot of blind triangle tests? How did you learn to really harness and hone your ability to know that?
0: Unfortunately, we have complaints out in the field. And back in the day when you we got a handwritten letter and they would mail the bottle back or whatever and complain about the brand or it just didn't taste like it usually tastes. So there's components in the bourbon such as grass-like. We call it geosmin. We do not want that in the bourbon whatsoever. A hint of geosmin goes a long way. And that is alfalfa-ish-like, grassy, moldy. Those are components... And we don't even, it's a mystery, we don't even know where J. Osmond really originates from, but we we know that it can develop in uh, the process of aging or the process of a batch being born. So I know what is uh, acceptable and not acceptable. And females, for some reason, can pick those notes up very strongly. Males, not so much, because we we've, we've kind of studied this. And when you get people that can really pick it up, that's the ones I have to go to. Because if I go to the mails and they're like, oh, it's different. And I'm like, no, it's not different. I don't want this to be bottled as such and such, you know. And so I taste every barrel that comes through here for our reps to go out and sell program barrels. So I'm going to actually taste a sample from the barrel that the guys in the warehouse bring me.
1: You're talking about like for all Elijah Craig and everything like that that goes out?
0: Yes. So I get to taste it first. And if I don't like it, then I'll reject it and we'll pull another one. Single barrel and program barrels. We actually take the time to taste it before we even think about processing it.
1: Yeah. And I guess I want to talk about the, the geosmin a little bit. And let's say you taste that when you're going through... Literally anything, whether it's bourbon or whiskey or wheat whiskey—I mean, you name it. What happens if you find something that's not acceptable? It doesn't meet the Tawny Guti standards. Like, what, what kind of, what happens to that particular piece of liquid?
0: Well, pretty much, you know, uh, I will take it to my manager. I'll also take it to Chris Bruni, Mike Sonny. You know, they're good, and but they—they pretty much know. Hey, if she says it, then it's legit.
1: The buck stops with you kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and but I also want to let them know about it because I I just want to let them know. It makes me feel better to get it off my chest that these barrels weren't acceptable because every day with new barrels and, you know, the wood's different and, you know, the grains and there's just so much in play. Like I said, again, we don't really understand why G. Osmond gets in the product, but... And and whether it's geosmin or if it has what we call a funky taste, and that's the term we use. And we cannot describe it any other way, but it's a funky taste. And we don't want funky and we don't want geosmin, but it doesn't mean that it's a loss. It doesn't mean that that bourbon's a loss. We have other things that we can do with that bourbon that will disguise and it's not going to hurt a thing
1: it just goes into a larger batch of
0: blend like a blend yeah which is only a very small percentage of bourbon and let's say 80% vodka it'll go into something like that with a lot of additives or whatever but we definitely make sure that we put out a good high standard quality even if that did happen because we would ration it out very small we would put just a very small percentage into a batch of something whatever it is and it's it's okay it's all good but yeah i taste every tank that's red and
1: What do you mean by red? I guess uh, you've you've said that a few times about reading bottling tanks and and stuff like that. Kind of explain what what that really means.
0: Okay. So in processing, uh, you gauge a tank. So what we say is, we just got that tank put over. So when they say, we've got that tank put over, then you grab the ticket and they have it filled out on what it is and you go to it and you gauge it. It might be 11 foot, 10 inches in the tank. And you wanna you'll calculate your temperature and your proof. And then you will take the finished product after you gauge it and you will make sure that you check the clarity on it, make sure it's clean. You will check the color on it, make sure the color is inspect. And you will check the proof, make sure your final proof is in compliance. And then the processing lab techs are the last ones to write it on the platform to say this is ready for the floor. This is ready to be bottled. So that's what it means is to read a tank. So we we always use that term. You feel like government paperwork, and then we always create a retain sample from that bottling tank, so that if we do have complaints in the field, and we got the bottling date, we can go back to that exact retain. And if the customer has some unopened bottles, then I can taste it, and then I can do all the tests on it and look back at the retain and see if it matches. Now, if they've opened the bottle, I can't taste it because it's too risky. You don't know what people can do to it. But no matter what, every complaint, we address it. We address every complaint in the field.
1: Now, when you say in the field, is this coming from distributors, retailers, consumers, just anybody?
0: Yes. How
1: often are people really complaining about stuff that's that's coming in? I, I'm kind of curious about that.
0: Well, I mean, it's a big world out there and we got a lot of drinkers, right? So um, When I get some of the complaints because they really want me to taste it and see if this customer is uh, legit or not, you know, and I have to say, you know, sometimes people just need to be educated a little bit on what they're buying due to the fact that on single barrel, they'll say, I bought a single barrel three months ago and then I bought one two weeks ago and it doesn't taste the same. So we have to get with them and say, hey, you know. <laughs> this
1: is this is how a single barrel works. Yeah.
0: That's the risk you take because that's that unique barrel. That's what that barrel, that single barrel, that's what the finished product was, you know, and that's what makes it unique. So sometimes they just need to be educated because they don't know. And they're like, oh, okay. But we do wonderful with getting back with any of our complaints, whether it's like distributors or just individuals. We always get back with them. And sometimes I might see their point. You know, you have someone that says, I've been drinking Evan Williams Black for 40 years every day at five o'clock. And this one, one batch I bought just didn't taste right. And sometimes, um, you know, that customer, he knows what it's supposed to taste like. I can say, well, you know, I can see it. It might be just a little tad, not as sweet or not as smooth, but it still falls in our quality standard for evan williams black but it's like he just enjoys that so much that he just caught that it may be just a tiny bit different you know so we'll get back with them and say thank you so much you know but um it happens
1: talk about a time when something happened where somebody complained and you had to go back into your library and go yeah this uh this is definitely different like how do you address that Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people, like you and me, who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Talk about a time when something happened where somebody complained, and you had to go back into your library and go, "Yeah, this uh, this is definitely different." Like, how do
0: you address that? How do we address it? Well, we start from the beginning. We'll get where did these barrels come from? What floor did they come from? What warehouse did they come from? What season did they come from? So we uh, are really good at investigating. We will investigate the issue we'll go back to the data. And that's how Mike Sonny became so good at what he does is because he knows the warehouses. He knows the floors. He knows how to take this many barrels from this warehouse and this floor and this many barrels. And he'll let me know. He'll say, well, you know, I got put in a corner on this larceny and I'm going to send a sample down. Make sure you taste it. Let me know what you think. I don't really know what he did, you know, but he's just letting me know that he got in a corner and we got a, get larceny to the customers. And I'll taste it and I'll let him know, yay. Yeah. You know, it tasted great. And he's like, oh, good. You know, so I don't know, you know, every little thing about where and how the bourbon, you know, where it came from in the seasons and what floor, because Mike is so good at mixing the barrels and getting it to taste like it should. But when we do go to the retain and let's say it's totally, we missed it, We're not perfect, but let's say we miss something and it has, you know, a green taste. They'll say, well, this tasted green. It it didn't taste like it was eight years old. Well, that could be true. And again, eight-year-old, you could have a five-year-old that tastes like an eight-year-old. So that means that customer is getting a really good five-year-old because for some reason, you know, it just aged great. It just developed so good, you know, but you can't take five year, even though it tastes like an eight and bottle it as eight. That's against the law. So, I mean, it's, it's just all over the board different when it comes to ages and floors and, and Mike Sonny putting them together. And if, if I told him that I didn't think it was a good larceny batch and he'll say, okay, you'll have, you'll have another one coming tomorrow. So he'd go back to the drawing board.
1: So you you've had that issue with larceny before? I'm trying to think of a a concrete example where you've you've had an opportunity to say, well this just doesn't meet in our our standard here.
0: Yes, actually we have. Again, we take it very seriously and when we really know that there was something different about a product, that's when you'll get let's say you got five complaints and two come from this state and two come from this state and one came from yonder. But it was the same production run. That tells you, you know, Mm -hmm. there was something a little different. We have uh, fantastic people that get with our customers on things like that and explain what we did for the investigation. And we appreciate their input and that we apologize that it got out uh, not being the, you know, what they expected, because that's the main thing. People find things they love and we are all that way if we buy something often and we love it what do you want you want it to taste the same when you get it every time and if you don't it is kind of disappointing so
1: that's part of the job i mean you've got to make sure that you are you're putting out a quality product and and i know that heaven hill does a fantastic job of doing that and i should also mention that we talk a lot about bourbon of course it's a bourbon podcast but you are also tasting everything across the entire Heaven Hill brand's portfolio. So you had mentioned tequila and rum and probably liqueurs. And I don't know if there's something that Heaven Hill doesn't make yet, maybe baju, but I mean, there might be be something.
0: You probably, someone will listen to this podcast and they'll think, oh man, (laughs) we need to add that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to try to put more work on your plate then.
0: (laughs) No, it's all good. I mean, we're making popsicles.
1: Oh, really? What? Uh, okay. Hypnotic this popsicles
0: is... are on the market.
1: Okay. I guess, that's, I guess that's the, the great part about tasting is like, okay, well, it's, it's a very hot summer day. Let's go ahead and just bust out some hypnotic popsicles. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when we talk about you know, when you receive complaints and, and you have to kind of go back to this library that you have, I mean, have you been keeping samples since you've been there to be able to go back? And like, how long is a, is a sample retained?
0: We retain it for a year, and I think we have had some discussion of maybe extending that to 24 months, but right now, 12 months is working, and it always has, okay? So if a customer buys a bottle, they're going to drink it and find out if there's something wrong with it and within a year. So when we get retains that uh, reach their birthday of a year, then we dump them out because we don't have the space to keep them at this, at this time anyway. It's a lot of work to keep those retains and you got to keep them straight and you got to keep them organized so that when you get that complaint, because you've got to go straight to it. So you want to be able to go straight to it. You don't have time to sit and go through thousands of samples to find one. And we do a good job with that. But you got to stay on top of it because you know that it's a necessity that you have that. I mean, it's it's a blessing. We can go back to a retain. And so, so far it's worked out good. It's not like we get, you know, an abundance of complaints and there's stability issues and colors and like cordials and things like that. And if cordials are in the sunlight in the liquor store, you know they'll fade and and things like that. And again, you have to educate the customer on that because they don't know. It it's it's a big, big variety range on why someone would complain about something.
1: Well, I want to get your your expert opinion on something too. And by the way, you, you stole my next question was like how big's this library if you've been retaining stuff for 30 years. But Knowing that it's every one year, then that's that's a little bit more manageable. You know, there is this idea, and this happened at a different distillery a few years ago, is that some bottles went on the market and people were like, this does not taste like what we think it is. And it, and of course, that other distillery, I'm not going to name names, said it fits within our acceptable reasons. And most people called it cork taint, thinking that the cork in the bottle was it was bad and leaching something into the whiskey. Talk about that.
0: This is so weird that you brought that up because this morning, and it's not much we talk about cork tank, but this morning we did because we had a complaint on one of our old Fitzgerald collection bottles, which I do a high-end 10% inspection on the high-end products before they go out the door. So my manager, Ken Kimball, brought me the retained sample. Brought it to me to my desk and said, Here, taste this. And I was like, Oh, okay. Because I had already opened up the complaint bottle and the cork and everything looked good. My boss told me, I don't know much about the cork tank, but, you know, I have seen it like what they say it's more with wine. And so, you know, the cork will get kind of moldy looking or uh, disintegrate, you know, in real cork versus synthetic cork, real cork is going to do that. It's just a natural product. And so I tasted the uh, old fits that. They brought from the retain. And I said, it's awesome. There's nothing wrong with it. So he's going to take that back. He's going to take that information back and to whoever he was handling that one. So sometimes they go through Ken and he'll come to me. But uh, it's funny that you brought that up. So in our situation, we really don't have quart taint with bourbon.
1: You've never really experienced it then before?
0: No. Bourbon's a really strong liquid that holds up. For years. I mean, you can't do that with wine or other spirits. You can't just open it up and sit it on the cabinet and seven, eight months later go back to it and it tastes exactly the same. And bourbon does. It it holds up.
1: Yeah. And by the way, you had mentioned something before that I have never heard of. And you said high end ten percent inspection. You got you're using these sort of insider terminology things. Kind of talk about what what you meant there.
0: Well, high end product, they're beautiful products. They are just like the ultimate Cadillac to the the line of bourbons. You know, it's hard to get your hands on 18-year-old Elijah Craig or 23-year-old Elijah Craig or these special limited editions because they are special. So being said that a bourbon has been aging for 23 years and it's put in a beautiful bottle. It is touched by a lot of people and we want it to be close to perfection as possible. Because think about it, 23 years, someone's been waiting for that. It's been aging. It's so unique. So we have an outside source that kind of, Well, no, they do. They finish up the product for us. They'll finish the finished touch. They'll put the strip stamp on it, or they'll write the barrel number on it for us, and then it comes back to us. They have someone that will 100% every bottle. That's just their job. But then when it comes back to us, I go back to the warehouse, and I do a 10% inspection on every high-end product just to make sure that it's up to quality standard because I'm, I'm in quality. So, uh, the high-end products like your Ode Fitzgerald decanters and your special editions, you know, it's kind of sad. You don't have enough to give it people that want it when I do my liquor store audits and uh, they figure out what I'm doing. I mean, it's every time. Why can't we get more? Why can't we get more, you know? And it's, it's just one of those things. If you get your hand on it, then you have a price. And cost doesn't matter because you know you are just getting, getting the ultimate
1: well, let's, let's say cost matters to some people out there, but you know, I, I do want to also talk about this because you all are so part of a team that's responsible for creating some of the limited edition products that, that do come out on the market. And talk about your process of either finding the barrels, knowing where they're coming from, the idea of what this bottle is going to be, and then finding the liquid and, and does it match the story of what you're trying to tell?
0: On special editions, they will, they will bring up something that, I don't know, it must have been in the warehouse agent, and they've been there for a long time, and it's a certain something they were experimenting with. I don't know all the details, but they say they want me to taste it. They want my opinion. They want my thoughts. Sometimes they throw things at me like that, and I really don't know what they're stewing up. But I will give my opinion and they have to go off my opinion on what I think about it. And then like after a couple of months, it comes back around and then it's back in the lab again. Now we want you to taste this. And and I, I don't have to know. And so they will come up with a product just by what I'm going off of. If I have, if you know, I'm giving on my, my pros and my cons. And then they'll come up with something. And then next thing I know, there's a special edition. And I always have in my mind that that's what they were doing. And it's just something unique. The special editions are just limited. And it's not like running a 30-case order of Evan Williams Black.
1: They use you like a tool in the arsenal there a little bit, right? They they go and they have this idea. They have some whiskey. And they're like, let's go run it through Tawny. See what she says. You're right. And we'll figure out if we're going to use it.
0: Yeah, you're right. And so I just write my opinion down and... I fly away and till the till the next round, or whatever, and they experiment with stuff. you know we do experiment like we're going to age bourbon in orange curso barrels, and I believe one of our Parker heritage' collections come out with that. How unique is that? So they come out with different things, and now you know now we're doing the the toasted barrel, and we're doing you know double char or whatever, so it's just it seems like the sky's the limit.
1: You got to keep experimenting and keeping the people happy. That's kind of what it comes down to as well.
0: True. Yeah, marketing and you know, we all have a job to do. So that's not my job, but it is somebody's job to come up with the uniqueness of the the different variety and what the customer wants. You are right on that.
1: Well, I'll go ahead and give you two thumbs up on on last year's Parker's release of the the heavy char bourbon. I thought that was fantastic. There's Good. a few there's a few I think kind of misses a few years before then, but Everybody has different tastes and different profiles and stuff like that, too. Exactly. Yeah. But I I thought last year's was was knockout. It was incredible. Now, I do want to kind of talk about something interesting. Since you've had a, a long career at Heaven Hill, that means you were there for the fire in 96. I was. Can you talk us through that day and really like where you were and like when you found out what was happening?
0: Well, I was working second shift at the time. And so um, I had a phone call come to me and say that a warehouse was on fire. You know, I was like, oh, okay." So you're not thinking much about that. And then you get another phone call and you say, you hear there's three warehouses on fire. So you start getting a little antsy about that. And then you turn the TV on and it's on national news. It's on local news. Then you're watching it play out right in front of your eyes. Mother Nature Uh, It was really windy that day. It was in November. It was raining. Then you hear that seven full barrel warehouses are on fire and that they've evacuated people and that people's vehicles have burned up and that the bourbon is rolling down the hill on the highway over into the distillery. And now the distillery is on fire. It was devastating. It was gut-wrenching. All I could think about was Max and the family and what's going to happen after this. And so we never skipped a beat. We never skipped a beat. Come back to work the next day. Nobody lost their jobs. It all worked out. Yeah, it was history and it was part of the family. But we survived it. We got stronger. What don't kill you makes you stronger. And um, it was an emotional day for a lot of people, not just the workers, but for Barchtown and seeing the helicopters on the news, just trying to get the fire put out, the wind was blowing, the loss of bourbon. It really brings up emotion to me right now as we speak about it. But we survived it and we were all a team. We all together made it through it.
1: Yeah. I- I, I just like to get people's perspective that were that were there on that day because I know that was a it was a pivotal day in 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 bourbon history where it cemented a lot of things. Um, you know, it cemented health and safety inspections. It changed that process. It showed the good nature of what other distilleries do to help people that are in dire straits. And so, it's just one of those things that people look back at as a time in history. And to to talk to somebody that was there and kind of experience it firsthand is is always good to to kind of share with with people as well. So I appreciate that.
0: You never forget it. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: And so to kind of like wrap it up and end on a, on a happier note a little bit with <laughs> this as well, and to kind of go back to your your tasting profile before that, since you were tasting stuff, uh, you know, prior to '96, there is this idea in the world of bourbon that. The the bourbon from Heaven Hill prior to 1996 tastes different than what you have today. You know, the, the idea of Dusties and everything like that. And they're like, everybody calls a bottle that has DSPKY31 on It says, you know, distilled and bottled by. They're like, oh, that's a pre-fire bottle. It's going to taste better than what's in today. Give your kind of thoughts on that.
0: Mm, that's a tough one. I mean, I don't agree with that, to be honest with you. I think that... You know, our recipe and and by
1: the way, I should mention not to say it tastes better. it tastes different, different. it tastes it has it has that 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 dusty funk that people talk about
0: <laughs> well, you know, maybe it's just all in their mind, but th- that's okay. I mean, just like Parker Beam said one time, you know, there's no bad bourbon, it's all good, so whether you like four year and someone doesn't or whether you like our Evan Williams Black, Elijah Craig, whatever it is, our consumers done proved to us we make good product. They're happy. They're happy and they're excited to to, to get a hold of what they love. And so we do a good job of keeping our quality and bourbon up to standard or what it's supposed to be. The name of whatever it is, it's, it's, it's going to stand up for its name. If it's Evan Williams Black, Evan Williams White, Elijah Craig, Larceny, uh, 1783. And When I say all of these different bourbons, they are all unique in their own, but they they own their own special recipe or per se their own package, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it's in a lot of people's daily lives. You know, what's up today? Okay, we're on Evan Williams Black. And then what are we going to next? So, everybody here, we do a good job, you know, just being in tune on how it needs to be from from the bottling tank all the way back to the tractor trailer that's going to take it. South Carolina, so we, there's certain codes that have to go on the the case, and it has to be, you know, certain stickers or exports are very important. So I'm over export. so we got to make sure it leaves here the way it's supposed to be and the way it's supposed to taste. It's got a long way to go, but as far as taste or recipes or or whatever it may be, again, I go back to the standard of that product. I, we had a, I had an expert expert sensory person, come and work with me one day. And he said, Tawny, he worked with me and he said, you are true to taste. He goes, that's what I've I, I learned about you today. You're true of taste, meaning that I've been here 30 years. I've grown with the products. I am growing with them as they are being born. So I'm here with them all, all the way, all the way through the journey. From being developed, I help Chris Briney and the innovational manager. They come up with new products that want me them come over there and get my opinion. And so it's not just me. So I don't want to take full credit for being a female master taster at all because it takes a lot of people. But that expert that I worked with said, and we kind of realized that we're not getting any younger. So I turned 50 today.
1: So Well, happy birthday.
0: Well, thank you. And how can I teach experience? I can't. So anyway, we are going to be growing. We got to bring the people up behind us to keep that same mindset and what Heaven Heal wants and has to have to put out the best quality product. It depends on your palate. But there are ways we can give people tools. There's things you can do to teach people different sensory abilities. And it's just concentrating just on that. So, you know, with Mike and Chris and I, I really think Kevin Hill is blessed to have us because we are a wonderful team, always have been. So we have to start thinking out of the box due to the fact that we're not going to be here forever, and we want to keep it going though we want to do that
1: well cool. so uh, if you're uh, if you're out there listening and you want to get into an apprenticeship with Tony with Tony here <laughs> we'll go. uh we'll try to make something happy for you.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: And Tanya, I loved your, the way that you kind of talked about, you've seen a lot of these products being born and you kind of put it to analogy of, of children. Like you have this, but you're also a team player and the same adage goes that it takes a village to raise a child. So it, it all kind of comes together uh, in one nice little package there. So I do want to say thank you so much again for sharing some of your story, your history and, and your thoughts on, on everything today on the show. It's, it's been a real pleasure to have you on.
0: You're welcome.
1: So, if uh, I'm sure, it's Sonny, you on any kind of social media? Does anybody want to follow you or anything like that? Or are you trying? You trying to stay off of that?
0: <laughs> I, no, I'm not on any uh, social media, really. There you go. Uh, She's a
1: ghost. So you're only going to hear <laughs> her right here on on Urban pursuit. So
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a big um, highlight person or attention. You know, attention. Sometimes that's hard. Compliments. You know, it's hard for me to take compliments. But Heaven Hill's awesome. I mean. People that come here, you know, they leave, leave here with a great experience and not just, you know, what they see, but just the people they meet, just the people they talk to and, and connect to and, and the stories that you're bringing up today are brought up. You know, everything that you've talked to me about is, is going to be talked about somewhere along the line. So and for a long time.
1: Yep. Now, Heaven Hill's full of great people and and couldn't say it any better than that. But thanks again, Tani, for coming on the show today. Make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, you name it. If you like it, please review, share it with a friend, and also follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok. But with that, cheers, everybody, and we'll see you all next week.